Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, ride on. Just keep riding. Hold us close. Take us with you wherever you're going until you come. And this teaching, it's your teaching. We're asking you, please, through your mighty spirit to make it clear to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's share three short stories. All right, short story number one. Here it comes. I was talking with a friend of mine who lives somewhere else in this country the other day. I've known her for quite some time. A friend, by the way, who has done very well, if I might say. (laughs) Yeah. Beautiful family. Great job pulling in figures that I know nothing about. I mean, nobody in her house, seriously, nobody in her house goes walking through the house saying, if I were a rich man, nobody, nobody does it. Why? They're already rich. Why would you hum that song? Beautiful wife, beautiful mother, beautiful professional, but you got a hold of me the other day. I wish you'd pray for me. The responsibilities in my life right now are so hard to handle, but especially, she went on, the uncontrollable responsibilities that come when you choose to live a certain standard of living. And then in words that just tugged at this little pastor's heart, I wish I could be back at Andrews in my dorm room and have a talk with myself. Hmm. But I'm sorry, you can't go back. But you very well may have an important talk with yourself. Because guess what, girl? You're not alone. What you just said has been echoed by thousands across this country right now. Take the, uh, the Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, Charge Duhigg. Wrote a piece in January. My, my friend Melky Ponaya spotted it, sent it to me. Oh, my I want to share, this is story number two now, I want to share a few lines from that piece. Here's how it begins. My first charmed week as a student at Harvard Business School, turns out, he enrolled at Harvard University. He's an MBA student. He goes to their 15th year class reunion and now is going to write about that reunion, okay? But anyway, my first week as a student at Harvard Business School late in the summer of 2001 felt like a halcyon time for capitalism at the time for the 895 of us first-yearers preparing ourselves for business moguldom. What really excited us was our good luck. A Harvard MBA seemed like a winning lottery ticket, a gilded highway to world-changing influence, fantastic wealth, and if those self-satisfied portraits that lined the hallways were any indication a lifetime of deeply meaningful work. Yeah. So it came as a bit of a shock. Here we go. When I attended my 15th reunion last summer, just last summer, to learn how many of my former classmates weren't enjoyed, weren't enjoyed enjoying their professional lives. In fact, they were miserable. I heard about one fellow alum who had run a large hedge fund until being sued by investors who also happened to be the fund manager's relatives. Another person had risen to a senior role inside one of the nation's most prestigious companies before being savagely pushed out by corporate politics. Another had learned in the maternity ward that her firm was being stolen by a conniving partner. 
Now look, those were extreme examples, of course. Most of us were living relatively normal, basically content lives. But even among my more sanguine classmates, there was a lingering sense of professional disappointment. They talked about missed promotions, disaffected children, billable hours in divorce court. They complained about jobs that were unfulfilling, tedious, or just plain bad. One classmate described having to invest $5 million a day, which didn't sound terrible, until he explained that if he put only $4 million to work on Monday, he had to scramble to place $6 million on Tuesday. And his co-workers were constantly undermining one another in search of the next promotion. It was insanely stressful work done among people he didn't particularly like. He earned about $1.2 million a year and hated going to the office. I feel like I'm wasting my life, he told me. When I die, is anybody going to care that I earned an extra percentage point of return? My work feels so totally meaningless. He recognized the incredible privilege of his pay and status, but his anguish seemed genuine. He goes on, if, if, if you spend 12 hours a day doing work you hate, at some point it doesn't matter what your paycheck says, he told me. Charles Duhigg commenting, there's no magic salary at which a bad job becomes good. He had received an offer at a startup, and he would have loved to take it, but it paid half as much, and he felt locked into a lifestyle that made this pay cut impossible. My wife laughed when I told her about it, he said to me. End of story. Title of the piece. Here it is. Wealthy, successful, and miserable. So which one is it? If I were a rich man, or wealthy, successful, and miserable. Story number three. Once upon a time, there was a man who did very well with his investments. Jesus told a story about him, and we're going to track this story because it's one of those wow stories. Open your Bible with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Jesus' story about this investor agrarian investor. Here we go. Luke chapter 12. You don't have a Bible? It's too dark where you're sitting? Well, it'll be on the screen. These lights, this is it. This is the next four weeks. And then we move out. We'll be back. We'll be back at the end of the summer. You're going to love it when you come back. All right, this is Luke chapter 12. I'm in the NIV. Did I tell you that? Verse 16, and Jesus told them this parable. There are the, the words on the screen. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Wow. You should have seen it. That huge green John Deere combine is just chewing up the back 40 like it's going out of style. And every truck he could rent is pulling under that huge spout that is shooting down yellow gold grain next truck please next truck at the end of the day there's so many rental trucks in the farmyard there's not room for one more oh man that night this farmer sat down at his mahogany desk that trusty old adding machine that's been his all these years he says let me just let me just calculate the numbers. And as he's running his fingers, and let me try that again. As he's running his fingers, he's realizing, I have more cubic yards of golden grain than I have cubic space of silos. What am I going to do? 
Verse 17, and so he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, aha, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. Yes, indeed. That's what I'm going to do. He has no clue, of course, as you and I do, overhearing the story. He has no clue that he's using the first, the, uh, the first person singular possessive pronoun, my, my, my. It's on his lips. Now, we can't fault him. This is his grain. It was his farm. Let's not be too hard on the man. But Jesus is telling us something about him. Let's read verse 18 again. Then he said to himself, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns And I'll build bigger ones. Yes, I will. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take it easy, boy. Eat, drink, and be what? Just be merry. Hallelujah. Oh, late that night. After crunching the numbers for the sixth time to make sure they're right. The man goes up the rickety stairs, crawls into bed with his slumbering wife, and he he is feeling so good, he just starts humming, if I were a rich man. Yes. And he drifts off to sleep. While he's snoring, the curtains at his window stand stiff. When all of a sudden, Those stiff curtains begin to mysteriously tremble. And as they tremble, they seem to part. And coming on a midnight breeze is the presence that fills that dark space. The presence has a voice. And the voice speaks to the slumbering man. Verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And with that pronouncement, the man jerks awake. He clutches his chest, and before he can awaken his wife, he's dead. The end. Wow. Why would Jesus tell such a somber, scary story? Turns out that the punchline to all three of these stories is this very same punchline. The punchline about this alum who's feeling very overwhelmed these days over the price tag of her success. The, the, the punchline to the 15th year class reunion of Harvard MBAs and the punchline to the suddenly rich farmer. Interestingly and very raring, rarely does Jesus not only include a headline to a parable but a tagline. And when you take the headline and the tagline and you put them together, you get the punchline. Let's check them out. Grab your study guide. Come on. It's in your worship bulletin. Pull your study guide out right now. While you're doing that, we'll put it on the screen for those who are watching at this moment. It's a little, seri- a little mini-series called How to Survive the Coming Economic Crisis. This is part two. If you missed part, part one, it's already there on the website. Part two, if I were a rich man. You look for the word study guide, the two words study guide. Click on there. You'll have the same study guide as us. You want to get the headline, the tagline, and the punchline. Let's jot the... Uh, let's. Let's get the headline, because we haven't even read it yet. It's, the, it's what leads into the story. So go up to verse 13. This is Luke 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I want to tell you something. Jesus is very smart here. 
You never want to get in the middle of a food fight called the battle over inheritance. You can't win. Stay out of it. And Jesus is very bright, and he does. So Jesus replies, verse 14, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to everybody in the crowd, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jot that down. That's the headline. Jot it down. There it is in your study guide. Headline, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Hit hit the pause button right there, because I hate that word greed. I hate that word greed, don't you? Greed feels yucky. It feels dirty. Greed greed feels like, gimme, 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 gimme. Guess what? You know what greed is? Gimme, 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 gimme. It is that. In fact, here's a a definition from the dictionary. Intense, selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, and food. Greed. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. But the headline continues. Keep your pen moving. Here's the second half of it. For life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Ladies and gentlemen, please note that Jesus is not instructing us that life doesn't consist of possessions. Of course we have possessions. You have them, I have them. It's not a sin to have possessions. But life does not consist in the abundance, this accumulating, this accumulating, this accumulating. No, it doesn't. The key word is abundance that you just scribbled in. There's a website, believe it or not, a website entitled Happify. Now, here's how you spell it, H-A-P-P-I. F-Y, Happify.com. And at that website, because they're dealing with, there's a whole discipline today, by the way, in uh, the academy called the economics of happiness. The scientists now are studying happiness. We're running out of it so fast that they're going to find out what do we do to hold on to this, okay? So at Happify.com, you have it in your study guide, jot this down. Fascinating to me. Another happiness factor, so they're talking, that's all they talk about is happiness. Another happiness factor is what positive psychologists, that's a, that's a realm of psychology, refer to as the, jot it down, hedonic treadmill. Now, hedonic means, you know, hedonism is pleasure-seeking. So it's called the hedonic treadmill. What, what, is, what are the authors talking about? Well, keep reading. Through the same process of habituation, a lot of big words here. I didn't even know what that word meant until I had to look it up. But it's a psychological term. And here's what, and I put it in brackets for you. Here, what does habituation mean? It means a decrease in our response to a stimulus after being repeatedly exposed to it. It's what a drug addict experiences. So one time, whoo, that's a great high. But the second time, not quite as high. But third time, not quite as high. So what does the drug addict do? He has to keep upping the dose. Pleasure. Hedonic treadmill. Upping the dose. We do that when we accumulate things. This is the point they're making. In fact, keep reading. Through the same process of habituation, the happiness associated with a new purchase, a new job, or a new house soon fades. Trying to recapture and retain feelings of excitement and happiness results in the pursuit of more new things, which becomes a never-ending task, like being on a continuous treadmill. You've got to keep buying more and more and more to get the same high. Hedonic treadmill. Welcome to the third millennium. We're all on it. We have to have more. I just have to have more. 
Like little rats, we keep running and running and running after the next new possession, the next new pay increase, the next new pleasure, the hedonic treadmill. That's what Jesus is talking about right here. Read verse 15 again. And then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. It's this hedonic treadmill that Jesus is warning us about. Stay away from it. In fact, let me tell you a story about a farmer once who had a great crop. And he sets up his story with that headline. So that's the headline. Now we've got to get the tagline. Because if you put the headline and the tagline together, you get the punchline. So what's the tagline? Well, let's drop down to the end of the story. We'll read the last line of the story one more time. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool. It's the only place in all of Scripture where God calls a man a fool. You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Now, here it comes. This, Jesus says, is how it will be. With whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not, how does that uh, line end? Is not what? Rich, come on. How does it end? Rich toward whom? Rich toward God. Would you jot that down, please? Tagline. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves. It's not wrong to store up things because I'm going to give it away to the neighborhood. I'm going to send it to Adra. It's not wrong to store up things, but if it's all for yourself, it's wrong. You're being rich toward yourself when you, in fact, Jesus says, you need to be rich toward God. My. Rich toward God? <laughs> Are you serious, Jesus? Listen, how could I possibly be rich toward God when I can't even be rich toward me? Let me give you another website. Investopedia. A website that deals with investments and investing. In February, ran a most interesting analysis. Get a load of this. It's in your study guide. According to the Credit Suisse, that's this giant inter, um, international bank in Switzerland, they, they put out a global wealth report 2018. According to that report, the top 1%, so write that number in, the top 1% of adults account for more than 47% of household wealth globally. Now, this raises an interesting question. Who exactly are the 1% worldwide? The surprising answer, if you're an American, now some of you are saying, look at, look at Dwight, I'm not an American, okay? So get over it. No, if you're living in America, that's exactly what it means. If you're living in America and you're living like an American, and you are, if you're an American, watch this, you don't have to even be close to being uber rich to make the list. An income of $32,400 annual income. $32,400 a year will, will allow you to make the cut. So if you're an accountant, some of you are. If you're a registered nurse, I'm married to one. Or even an elementary school teacher, congratulations, the average wage for any of these careers falls well within the top 1% worldwide, end quote. My, turns out we were richer than we thought. Aren't we? Yeah. But the reason we're up in that 1%, the article goes on to note, is because of the extreme poverty on this planet. And because everybody else is so low, it makes us look high. We ought to carry that world on our hearts a little more than we do, don't you think? We're rich. But it isn't that we're so rich, it's that they're so poor. 
But when Jesus, when Jesus commands us, I want you to be rich toward God, he isn't commanding a certain level of earning. No, 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 no. He's calling us to a certain level of giving. This is all about giving. In fact, jot this down. Let's put the headline and tagline together. When you combine the headline in his parable with the tagline of his parable, you very quickly come to his punchline. One word, write it in. Give! Exclamation mark. That's, that's the punchline. Give! Well, we kind of knew that was coming, didn't we? What's the big deal about giving? I'll tell you. I've never read anywhere in literature a more prescient description of the benefits of giving than what you're about to read. Ed Gungor in his book, Religiously Transmitted Diseases, writes about giving. You have it in your study guide. Giving touches a nerve in us that nothing else does. It's the most sensitive nerve you have. I've had people come up to me and say, Dwight, don't you ever preach about money again or we're leaving. Why? Because that nerve is so sensitive, it immediately goes into a toxic reaction. Ooh. Giving touches a nerve in us that nothing else does. We look a lot like God. Here's the good news. We look a lot like God when we do it. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he did what? That he gave. We look like God when we do it. When you give, keep, keep your pen moving. You defy the fear, and we all have this fear, that you won't have enough someday. When you come to retirement, I'm not going to have enough. When you come to getting out of college, I'm not going to have enough. When you come to having a baby, I'm not going to have enough. That's the fear that keeps, that keeps needling us. Don't give, don't give. Hang on, girl, boy, hang on to this. You're going to need this. Oh, when you give, you defy the fear that you won't have enough. You insult greed. There's that dirty word. You insult greed, the impulse, the impulse to acquire or possess more than one needs or deserves. Oh, that was good. If you really believe that God owns it all and that He is your source and provider, giving will be a simple matter. The arena of giving is the only place where exactly what's going on in Dwight's heart is being revealed. God says to Gabriel, hey, Gabriel, find out how much the boy's given, huh? And then tell me. That number that he comes up with will tell me the spiritual condition of Dwight's heart. I'm sorry, but it's red hot and instant. Why? Because the nerve from, for, from giving goes straight to your heart. It's a very sensitive nerve. Oh, but the last line is even better. According to Jesus... Giving keeps your heart in motion toward God and away from material things. Your heart will follow the direction of your giving. That's why the headline and the tagline of this parable, when you join them together, they compose give. Give. Please give, Jesus says. And what Jesus breathes just a few moments after he ends this little story profoundly makes the point. And this is so tender. I love this. Just drop down. Now, he's talking. Verse 22 says he's only talking to his disciples. Shh. This is just the people that are really close to him. All right. So, that'd be you and me. Verse 32, uh, Luke 12. Do not be afraid, little flock. Oh, I love that. That's a good shepherd. <laughs> That's a good shepherd saying, hey, sheepies. Hey, sheepies. You sheepies who follow me. You're my, you're my homeboy. You're my homegirl. You're following me. Do not be afraid, little flock. I know this can cause fear when you deal with this subject. Don't be afraid. For your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. 
You already have the kingdom. It's not like you earn the kingdom by giving a certain amount and then, okay, let her in. Come on. He really did well. That was a good gift. You just got in. No, it's not that at all. You already have the kingdom. You have everything. Hmm. So what should I do, Lord? Verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses and wallets and, and, and portfolios and, and checking accounts for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your tre- Let's read this one out loud together. We've known this since Sabbath school days. Let's do it out loud together. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So give. 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 It's not like guys sitting up there saying, can we make this hurt anymore? Gabriel, what should I have been doing? Really tightening the screws here? No, that's not it at all. When you're rich toward God, your heart, look, look at this. When you're rich toward God, your heart is like this with him. You know why? Because God's already a giver. He's the biggest giver in the whole universe. So when you give, you and God go like this. He said, man, we're this, you and me. Look at us. Why? Because he said, bank of heaven, I gave it all. I've given you everything you have with joy. I'm asking for everything you have back to me with gratitude. Is that a switch? Is that fair enough? Fair enough. We're going to be like this. Do you understand that? We're going to be like this, you and me. When you give, you're just like God. And he loves it. Of course he loves it. Why wouldn't he? How do I give, Jesus? Well, give to the poor who are all around you. Come on. You got eyes? Use them. Give to the poor. Yeah, but Jesus, what about, what, what else? The needs that are in front of you. There'll be needs all around you. Just give. Just keep giving. You're just, you, you'll be like me. Yeah. I don't know. Dwight, I think you're really pushing this. And besides, come on, can I just talk to confidentially with you? What right does he have to ask this from me? I mean, come on. I earned it. I've spent months building up this little kitty. Now you're asking me to give from it? Well, we just read Ed Gunger a moment ago. I, I hate to que- keep repeating him, but put him on the screen. That, those last lines, the arena of giving is the only place where exactly what's going on in your heart is revealed. According to Jesus, giving keeps your heart in motion toward God and away from material things. Your heart will follow the, the direction you're, of your giving, end quote. You know what? It's the, here's the truth. This came, after, we were producing this, and it came then, and we already had the study guide printed. I'm sorry. But this line, I want you to get it. Would you scribble it, please? Scribble it down in your study guide. This is the take-home line right here. The more you give, the closer you grow. That's why God's big on giving. Because the more you give, the closer you and God grow. He doesn't need your tiny little quarters and dollar bills. I own the whole place. No. When you give, you become like me. And we go like this. You and me are like this. Man, we're like this. Don't you let anything keep you from being close to me. The only thing that can make us not be close to him anymore is when we quit giving. And you know when you quit giving, because giving a dollar to a child who walks by and saying, man, I did a great thing today. (laughs) You did a great thing, but that's not the giving. That's not the giving Jesus is talking about. Everybody can't give the same amount. I understand that. But everybody can sacrifice equally. Can't we? We can. People say, why why do you even deal with this subject of giving? Do you know that of all the subjects... (laughs) All the subjects that Jesus taught on, this is the most 
predominant subject, hands down over anything else. He keeps going back to giving and giving and giving and giving. Why? Because it's the nerve. It runs straight to my heart. It's the most sensitive nerve. The nerve from, my, the, the nerve from here to here is strong. And when you tell me not, when you, when you threaten this, my heart just kind of starts shriveling. And when you threaten this more, my heart just keeps shriveling. Why? Because this is how you open your heart up. This right here. This is not very nice to do this on television, is it? I'll, I'll, quit, I'll quit doing it. I'll quit doing it. But when, when, when you go from here to your heart, that's it. That's what Jesus is talking about. Ah. The more you give, the closer you grow. So the next time, no, seriously, the next time, here's my, I suggest, the next time you are alone with Jesus, and you'll be alone with Jesus in just a few hours, the next time you're alone with Jesus, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask Jesus, and he will, he will comply. I want you to ask Jesus, Lord, show me your hands, all right? Now, he's going to do this with you, so you have to reach your hand out, both hands, and you take his two hands, and you hold his two hands, and you look down and don't look at don't don't look at the floor, don't look at the ceiling. You look at his hands, and you will notice right near his wrist there is an ugly purplish, pinkish, grayish kind of scar in both hands. I want you to look at those scars, and then I want you to look up into his into his face. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, and you ask him, Lord, how come you have those scars? And I promise you. I promise you this will be his answer to you because I gave everything I have for you. Everything. I gave it all. You've been the only boy on this planet. I gave it all for you. Oh, next time you're alone with Jesus, you just do that. He'll accommodate you. A century ago, a writer captured this meaning of Calvary so poignantly. I want to put the words on the screen for you. Let us surrender ourselves a living sacrifice and give our all to Jesus. It is His. We are His purchased possession. Those who are recipients of His grace, who contemplate the cross of Calvary, the scarred hands, will not question concerning the proportion. Yeah, but I shouldn't be having to give that much. But will feel that the richest offering is all too meager, all disproportionate to the great gift of the only begotten Son of the infinite God. Through self-denial, the poorest among us will find ways of obtaining something to give back to God, end quote. The more you give, the more you give, the the closer you grow. So I want to say to my younger friend, wherever she is right now, I want to say to her, girl, you want to come back to college, huh? Be in that dormitory room and give yourself a little talk? I suggest spare your breath. There's no need to do that. Mm-mm. You need to stay in this moment of time. You need to sit down with Jesus. You need, you need to do this hand thing with Jesus. And you ask Jesus to help you give your way out of the life you're in right now. Just start giving. Just start giving. Just start giving. Give your way out. It may not mean changing your job. It may not mean reducing your income. But it will surely mean from henceforth that you are going to be rich toward God. It means that. You just keep giving and giving and giving. And that crisis, that existential crisis that you are suffering right now, that crisis is gone. 
Why? Because you've turned the attention off of you to the God who has been rich toward you, and now you are rich toward Him. It'll go just like that. And by the way, the stresses that come from not having enough money, the stresses that come from having too much money, they're all relieved the same way. You just give and give and give until God says, that's enough. You'll know. You'll know. Crisis? No. Not for you. Because you are rich toward God. Take out your connect card, please. There are three, three ways we can respond to this. See what you think. It's in your bulletin somewhere. Yes, we're always glad to have you. Pastor Ben talked about the connect card a moment ago. Turn it over to where it says, my next step today is. Three little boxes. Box number one, I want to be rich toward God by being a giver like he is. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Why not? I want to be like, I want to be like Jesus. Uh, box number two, I would like to be rich toward God on behalf of the Renovate Heart and House Project. What are you talking about, Dwight? I'm talking about this last fall when the church board met. You know what? They made a decision. Do you know why they made the decision? Because they know you. They know that this is a congregation that, that historically has been rich toward God time and time and time again. They're all leaders who are a part of you. They're sitting w- with you right now. And they made the decision. You know what? Two million dollars, that's not too much for this congregation. We can do it with the help of God. We can do it. And so they launched us on this $2 million project. And the roof is coming off because it was a holy roof. That means holes in the roof. And the inside of the sanctuary is torn up, and it's going to get so nice by the time the summer's over. And it's just a few Sabbaths away, right after graduation, May 5, the next day, gutted. And we're moving, thanks to Andrews University, by the way, who is not charging us a single penny for being in the H-Pack all summer. Not a single penny. We'll be there, worshiping, looking forward to the day when we come back here. Two million dollars. <laughs> million for the roof, million for everything else. Wow. The church board knew. And guess what? The pledges came in. If you go to our website, let's put it on the screen, pmchurch.org forward slash renovate. You go to the website, you can see, you can see the graphic there. You can see we have over a million dollars now. Cash just keeps going up. The pledges are being fulfilled. I want to say to all of you who have already pledged, Karen and I have pledged. We had to go into our savings to pledge, but Karen and I have pledged. And you know what? It's a joy. We made the pledge. And, and here's what I want to say to you as I say to, to Karen and to me. Just keep the pledge. You got three years. Stay with it. Don't, don't, don't let anybody turn you back. Times could get bad. Boy, the devil said, man, I'll get that money. I'll get it somehow. Times suddenly come bad. Oh, my. Jesus says, do not be afraid, little flock. I got you covered. You'll be fine. You made that commitment to me. Yeah. <laughs> but look, it. I'm not worried about it. It might be, though, that there's somebody here who has yet to make a pledge. You're saying, eh, I'm just kind of waiting to see. I wasn't sure this thing was really going to get off the ground. Folks, it's off the ground. We, there's no turning back now. We can't turn it back. That roof is already starting to be torn up. If you look on this side, they started on Friday. So there's no going back. We're not going back, of course. I'm just kidding. But some of you have been waiting to say, well, I just haven't made my pledge yet. Here's, what I, here's my invitation. Would you please... 
prayerfully ask Jesus, what do you want me to do? It's not equal giving, it's equal sacrifice. You'll know. I promise you. You just know in your heart. You'll know. And then go to this website you just saw and uh, click on pledge. You can say, for three years, here's what uh, we're going to do or I'm going to do. Or you can donate. Just I want to donate it all right now. Hit, the, hit that donate button. You know what, folks? We're going to do it. We want to raise five, 500 million, a half a million between now and coming back into this church. Would that be okay? We did a million just getting to our 60th birthday as Pioneer, February 14. Now we're going to raise a half a million more be, be, between being there and coming back here. That'll leave us one, one half million left. We can do this because of God. In fact, I love this promise. Philippians 4.19. Oh, this is beautiful. I just... I just think this is one of the great promises in Scripture. And my God will meet all your what? All your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. He's been rich to us. He said, you be rich to me. Trust me. I will take care of you. But, but, but Dwight, I got stuff that bills coming up. There's no way. Put him to the test. You haven't pledged yet? Put him to the test. Take your three years. I think God's going to surprise us. He's going to surprise us with the way he brings us through. Anyway, that's box number two. Put a check mark there. Go to that website. See what you think. Box number three. We've been putting this for the last four weeks. Every time that box is on this uh, connect card, somebody has responded. I want to, I want, today is I want to be rich toward God and be baptized into Jesus. There's somebody here right now who's not been baptized yet. And you're looking at three weeks till the school year ends, perhaps. Or until you, till you go into the next chapter of your life. Whatever. You put a check mark there, and please put your uh, email address on the front of the card. We'll be in touch with you. We'd love to have a baptism for you before you leave for summer break or whenever. You don't have to do it in three weeks. You can do it in three months. But you need to make a decision. I want to give my life to... I want to be rich to the God who's been rich to me and give my life to Him. Put a check mark there, and we'll be in touch with you electronically. Oh, God, we sing our prayer to you. It's as if we're holding Jesus' hands right now in that prayer. Draw me nearer. Draw us nearer to your precious bleeding side. You have been rich toward us. And we humbly, gratefully accept your invitation to be rich toward you for the building up of your kingdom and the hastening of your return. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.